When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Inspired Fire podcast. My name is Chris and I'm your host. And I want to really reach out and say thank you to everybody who's left reviews and subscribed to the show so far. I really appreciate that. And we actually announced our first winner last week. Uh, I am Ro Thomas won a $25 gift card. So enjoy. And that giveaway is still going on. So if you'd like to join, all you have to do is subscribe and leave a review. And then just send that screenshot to me over at questions at inspiredfire.com. Or you can also Instagram me that screenshot. So today we have an amazing guest. Her name is Becky from Find Your Freedom. She's a money coach. She has a blog as well at 20 free co and uh, a little bit about her backstory that I want to share before we get into the interview is she quit her job in January 2020 to work for herself she started out with a hundred about a hundred thousand in student loan debt in 2015 and paid most of it off uh, after that then she saved a hundred thousand dollars of fu money before quitting her job. So today we're gonna get into a little bit about how she started the process of becoming an entrepreneur and as well as what she uses to help her in the process. For example, virtual assistance is something that we're gonna get into today, which I'm excited to share with you. So without further ado, Becky, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, basically in my 20s. I recently quit my job to start my own business, and that was a big milestone on what has so far been about a five-year journey to financial independence. Um, to give you some background on where I started when I started pursuing financial independence as an explicit goal, I was uh, a graduate um, a college graduate in 2015 with $100,000 in student debt. And that really opened my eyes to the fact that I needed to get a better handle on my financial situation because I had managed to, for four years, completely ignore the amount of debt that I was accruing, as well as um, I actually felt like I was managing my money quite well because I was working several jobs. At one point, I had four part-time jobs. Um, I got a job right out of college and it was a pretty well-paying job in my field um, and I didn't have any credit card debt so that was in my mind a really good measure of how you were doing financially well I didn't have any credit card debt I had completely ignored the other part of my financial life which was the student loans that I took out to pursue my university education which I otherwise wouldn't have been able to afford um, but I did have some like disconnect mentally between um, how I was doing financially in my mind and how I was doing financially in reality. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you were measuring yourself uh, on the 
standards of society, I guess, which is if you don't have any credit card debt, you're fine, um, where you wanted to kind of measure yourself against other goals, for example, which is, uh, you know, if you measure yourself with buyer goals, if you, you know, were introduced to that at that time, you would probably say, yeah, I've got a ways to go. Exactly. I hadn't thought about the idea of getting past the paycheck to paycheck phase where I was covering my living expenses. I was able to pay for everything with cash, but I I hadn't moved up in my thinking to the point where I should be saving for retirement because as an 18 to 21 year old, thinking about parties and clothes and um, going out, I wasn't thinking about what my professional quote unquote adult life would look like. And ultimately I think the transition into full-time work really was a catalyst for me to change the way that I was dealing with money because it was also the first time that I ever really had money to call my own. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we're talking like working multiple full-time jobs and everything. These were very low paying, like minimum wage jobs. Um, And I had an internship at one point that I finally started to make a little bit more money at, but I was going from making at the most when I was working all the time and going to school full-time, maybe like $10,000 a year to making a salary around fifty thousand dollars a year. So it was a huge increase where I had disposable income and I still was living at the lifestyle level of a college student. Um, I saw that difference between how much I was making and how much I was spending and realized that that was my path to be being able to become financially free from these student loans but also pursue financial independence in early retirement. So is that how you found the fire movement? Was it something that just you realized your situation and said, I think that there's something more that I can do? Or was there something, someone that you found or a resource that helped you at the beginning? Yeah. So I actually, I tend to learn about things and take a little while to think them over and figure out how they fit into my life. Um, I learned about financial independence and early retirement from Mr. Money Mustache when I was in college, actually. Um, And I started thinking about it. I was introduced, I think, through the um, shockingly simple math of early retirement um, or retiring early. I'm not sure exactly what the article is called, but it's a really popular post um, Mm -hmm. from Mr. Money Mustache that showed me that the math is really simple. If you follow some really basic principles, you don't have to work until you're 65 and then live a life of like traditional retirement. And I had started becoming very alternative, like interested in alternative lifestyles when I was 14 and I read um, The Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. So, in The Four Hour Work Week, the concept of lifestyle design is very central. Um, And so, I was thinking, how can I design my lifestyle? Well, as a 14 year old, you don't have too much freedom, you don't have too much money. Um, And so, I was learning about all of these things, but having trouble applying them to my life, but they became a a core part of my value system where I wanted flexibility. I wanted mobility. I knew that I wanted location independence in the future. Um, I wanted to travel and I'd always wanted to travel, but when I was a kid, um, my parents were very frugal. So we always bought things secondhand. We really kind of went for the essentials, not too much discretionary spending. Um, They saved a lot of money and it was a really good financial basis for me. 
But when your parents only buy you the necessities, you tend to want when you're a kid, like, okay, well, how about these discretionary things? I want new toys. I want gadgets. I want, you know, a phone or whatever when you get older. And so my early financial life, I had very little money and I spent all of it. Um, I was working since I was 14 years old, making minimum wage, which at the time was probably around five or $6 an hour and spending that all at Target every week once I got my paycheck. Not spending more than I made, but certainly not saving for the future or investing for retirement. Um, And so I became aware of concepts like lifestyle design when I was 14 and didn't have the ability to travel. Um, I became aware of investing probably around the age of 16. And I read something that says, oh, if you start investing when you're 18 and you invest just this small amount, you can be a millionaire by the time you're quite young um, for most people. But I didn't have money. I felt that I didn't have money to invest. So I didn't start doing it. When I was in college, I didn't really have the freedom. I was still in a full-time educational capacity. Um, I was working a lot. So I also wasn't in the quote unquote adult phase of my life where I had all this control over um, what my life looked like, what my schedule looked like. And, and so I was learning these things and I was creating this core value system. Um, And it, a vision of what I wanted my life to look like once I became an adult. And Mm -hmm. then I was thrown into that with this ball and chain that was $100,000 of student debt. And I said, oh, I I did make a pretty big mistake while I was learning all these things, (laughs) which was turning the blind eye to the the debt that I had accrued. Um, But it was very helpful for me to have learned these concepts over, you know, from the age of 14 to 21 and figuring out what they meant to me and how I wanted to apply them in my life. Um, you know, and I guess this is a message that I want to tell other people is that a lot of people say, oh, well, I feel like I started really late or people told me this years ago and I just never implemented it. And I think that's really common for people who are um, doing what would be considered an alternative lifestyle, like financial independence, early retirement, or, um, you know, some sort of location independent full-time travel, which is, which is what I'm pursuing in my own lifestyle. Uh, I think we hear about these things and it takes us a little while to figure out how it works for us. So don't get discouraged if someone told you that you should have started investing earlier and you're only starting to invest now. Um, we can only start like the earliest we can start is now. Even if we learned about it before, we can't go back in time. And we always do the best with the information that we have at the time. So um, I've, I always felt like I was a slow starter. I got this information and then I sat on it for like six years. <laughs> but ultimately, as someone who started actively pursuing FIRE at the age of 21, I am a lot earlier than a lot of people who've gotten into it later. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's a bad time to start. I suppose. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And the fact uh, that what you just said is true is that you, it's never a bad time to start. It, it, the best time to start is today. Um, you can't sit back and think, what if? It's just get started today if, if uh, that's what you really want. And um, the fact that you picked up a book and read The Four Hour Work Week, which I picked up just a few years ago, um, you picked up at the age of 14 is, is incredible. What, how did that happen? How did you get a book? like that in your hands at the age of 14? Was that just something that came, came to you? Did your parents kind of, you know, lead you in that direction? Yeah, I think my, my parents really nurtured the side of me that was very different from other people. Um, they never, 
made me feel like I had to conform to a really standardized ideal of what society expects from most people, which is, you know, you buy a house, you buy a car, you get a job, um, you have some kids and you retire when you're 65. I was always like, well, what about this? And what about that? And what about this? I want to try something different. Do you think that I could be a marine biologist? And then in the middle of my career, just change and do something totally different. And my parents were like, sure, why not? And most parents would say, like, no, you get a degree in something and you do it and that's it. And I'm not a marine biologist, you know, full disclosure, but I just had all these, these ideas and I wanted to be everything. Um, and I wanted to live my life really differently because I kind of had this uh, imagination as a kid. And so I think my parents saw that and my mom was recommended the four hour work week by one of her friends. And she read it and she said, Becky, I think you would really like this book, <laughs> you know, and as someone who had just started working, I was in food service, you know, I was serving people ice cream um, and I didn't even know what it was that I was kind of trying to get away from, which was that, that full-time corporate work. Uh, but I was really inspired by the ideas of entrepreneurship in the book. Um, and I think that's what my parents saw in me was that I had all these ideas and I had the uh, the desire to act on them too. So right. they wanted to foster that with me. So I was, I was very lucky that my mom, my, both my parents read a lot and my mom saw this book and, and saw something in it that was right for me. Right. That's, that's awesome. Definitely. And then armed with this information now at the age of 14, of course you go through high school, college, and like you said, everybody, you know, that's the story a lot of people go through is that they don't really, they're not aware. They're just trying to do their best in school and once they get out of college they kind of realize okay what situation am I, am I in did I rack up a lot of credit card debt um, how much student loans do I have etc um, so then with that information knowing that you wanted to have that type of lifestyle design what did you do how did you uh, go ahead and prepare for that that journey so the first thing that I decided was that I didn't like being in debt and I I know that sounds really simple but I think we're taught in general society that debt is a very acceptable, if not expected, side effect of living the standard American dream, especially in the West. So I decided that that debt wasn't right for me, that I wanted to pay off that debt as soon as possible instead of carry it for the 10-year repayment plan. Um, and I also decided that I wanted to embrace the concepts of minimalism that I had learned about as well, kind of over the, the past years, you know, maybe five, six, seven years, I was learning about minimalism. I, you know, before that was an accumulator, you know, of probably just like a regular degree where most people say, oh, I have money, let me buy something with it, you know, and I was really purchasing items instead of experiences. Um, so, once I had this flexibility of time and money, I made a couple of core decisions, which was based on that value system that I had started building. And, and so when I give advice to people, you know, as a coach or just as a friend, I say the basis of all of your money decisions and the basis of all your lifestyle decisions is always going to come back to your core values. But if you're not clear on your core values, it can make it much harder for you to move forward in a particular direction. You might be moving an inch in a million directions instead of a mile in one direction. So um, I decided early on that my money was a tool to help me live 
the lifestyle of my dreams. Um, I got a taste of travel in college um, when I studied abroad for a semester. So that was really huge for me in realizing I want to integrate travel into my long-term lifestyle design. Um, I wanted to pursue travel as part of my job. So I was lucky enough to work for a consulting company where I did get to travel some for work. Um, and I ultimately figured out that full-time work after, I mean, I say ultimately, but I mean after, say, a year or two of working in a corporate professional career, um, that working in a cubicle, uh, even though I did get to travel a little bit and all of that, wasn't right for me. And so initially, in 2015, I graduated, had all this debt. I said, I'll pay off my debt. Um, I'll work really hard at my career, do everything I can to increase my income, and I should be able to retire uh, at 35 years old or 32 years old if I'm super aggressive about it. And I'd run all the numbers. I knew what that looked like for me. I was 21. I worked until I was like 23 and I decided I don't like this enough to do it for another 10 years. Um, but, you know, 10 or 12 years of my life is, is a really valuable period of time, especially in my 20s when I was realizing this is the time that I build all my relationships and that I'm going to have I hope it's not the majority, but it's certainly a significant formative portion of the um, experiences in my life. You know, being able to travel and being able to find out different things about myself and learn about my perspective on the world. So my perspective shifted from a really strict pursuit of fire in the traditional sense, um, where you work really hard and you kind of put your, your head to the grindstone until you can retire after 10 or 15 or 20 years. And then you, you have an extended retirement. I decided that I wanted to pursue a hybrid approach where I was incorporating a lifestyle that I loved now. I was building pieces of what my retirement would look like into my life um, in my 20s so that I didn't have to feel like I had wasted any time. Because we're not promised tomorrow, you know, um, I had a couple of experiences. I was hospitalized for something that was like really severe and uh, came out of the blue um, in 2016. You know, I was 22 years old and I had like a, a really spontaneous thing that was that was really scary for me to go through. My partner was in um, a motorcycle accident the next year. And so even though we were really young, we were both really healthy, um, facing those two major health issues really helped me decide, you know, make, make a decision that normally would feel super risky to say, well, I'm, I'm going to move away from my career. I can always pick it up a different time. Um, normally that would feel risky, but in the face of death, the, the main risk is regret, right? Mm -hmm. I, I didn't want to spend another 10 years pursuing this retirement and have the possibility that people that I loved wouldn't be around for me to spend time with them. Um, that something would happen to me and I wouldn't be able to actually live that life that I had envisioned for so long. Uh, and so, you know, that, that's kind of like heavy stuff, but in the face of uh, our own mortality, I think it helps us realize that the real risk is choosing not to take risks. Um, and so I'm a huge proponent for calculated risks. Obviously, I, I think a lot of people in the financial independence retire early community are super um, cautious about their money and they're, they're really careful about doing the math because uh, it's not something to take lightly to, to try to 
plan on your money carrying you through something that might be like a 50 or 60 year retirement instead of a 20 or 30 year retirement. Um, but at the same time, I think we can use those tools to help us make really calculated decisions um, rather than getting stuck in one more year syndrome where we have to work for another year, just another year, just another year. We'll feel a little bit more secure, a little bit more padded in, um, in our retirement, having this flexibility where we say, uh, we have multiple types of resources, right? It's not just financial capital that we can use to pursue that retirement. We can also use our social capital. Um, we have support systems with people that we know. We have our human capital where we could always go back to work in most cases, um, especially as people who are young and retiring early. Um, there are many ways to pursue what we want in retirement without having to sacrifice everything now. Absolutely. That was um, very well put. And that's a struggle that I think we all go through or, or I've gone through for sure is um, how do you live in the moment and enjoy life now and also make sure you're set up for the future through, you know, financial independence. So, uh, you know, you, you can't get caught up in that date in 10 years and then think, okay, I'll be happy then. The, the journey is, is long and you have to be patient. And you have to enjoy life throughout. And that's why I think it's becoming more popular. Uh, fire types like barista fire, coast fire, slow yeah. fire. Because people are seeing that. People are mm -hmm. noticing that um, they want to be in the moment. And their best years are now. Uh, so I, I think you hit that right on the head. And then so once you decided to pay off your student loans, you kind of realize that you're going to make this lifestyle design for yourself. And then um, did you, so you started to work your way out of the corporate world. How did you do that? Did you, I have a post about FU money and I think everybody should have FU money. I'm working on that as well. I honestly think it's better for the society in general for all employees to have some FU money. It'll probably help with the things that you see where there's not, not there's a whistleblower that kind of says, hey, there's some fraud or corruption going on and they get fired, made an example of, and then the rest of the employees don't say anything. But if everybody had some FU money, I'm pretty sure these corporations wouldn't be able to get away with half of the things that they do. Um, anyways, a side note there, but how did you come up with you know, that plan and that exit strategy out of the corporate world and into your business? Yeah, so I decided once I was pursuing financial independence, early retirement, that I didn't want to pursue uh, everything in stages where I was first going to focus on getting rid of that whole $100,000 of student debt. And then I was going to switch gears and start investing. And then I was going to switch gears and start saving my emergency fund. Um, I incorporated all of those milestones together. So I, uh, you know, paid off that I paid off the $70,000 of my student loans that were high interest so that I could free up some cash flow to then save an emergency fund to then start investing and maxing out my 401k and my IRA. Once I did that, I realized that, well, A, I hadn't ever inflated my lifestyle. So my cost of living was still extremely low and therefore my savings rate was really high. And I started saving some cash reserves so that I could do different things in my life, be that travel, um, build a tiny house, which is one of those kind of alternative lifestyles that I'm really interested in. Uh, and those 
cash reserves that I started to build became my FU money. Once I, once I familiarized myself with the concept, um, I read an article about, I think it may have been the article that coined the term um, where they, they call it the power of FU money. And it connected in my mind that money is power and it makes it much more difficult to advocate for yourself in your work or in your relationships if you don't have the financial backing to do so. So if you don't feel like you could leave your job if you're in a toxic or abusive workplace, um, or if you don't feel like you could leave a relationship because you can't afford to move out um, or go somewhere, then you're in a very powerless situation. And once I made that connection, I realized uh, you know, and, and I had always been before that a pretty strong self-advocate. I asked for raises every year. Um, I, I pushed to work on things that I wanted to work on that I was interested in my work. Um, but I reached a new level of being able to ask for what I wanted once I realized that I was no longer in danger if something didn't go the way that I wanted it to go. So if um, I asked my boss for something and they said no, or I got some backlash and, and it looked like my job would be in danger, having this money was uh, almost something that helped me take that calculated risk, right? It was, it was the, the buffer and the cushion that I could fall back on. Um, and it really gave me a lot of power. Um, and when you're in an employer-employee relationship, the power imbalance is is very, very clear if you're living paycheck to paycheck. Um, and it becomes a lot more balanced and and it can really just feel a lot more equitable um, as if your employer, you know, wants to keep you there and you want to keep working there. So you're both working to make each other happy, you know, as a, as a valued employee, right? Um, in any case, I decided that $100,000 was this arbitrary number that I would have to have um, $100,000 in assets to feel comfortable to quit my job. Um, I think part of that was that it was the exact opposite of the amount of debt that I had originally had. And that amount of debt felt like insane and insurmountable. And so that six figure number, if it was positive instead of negative, would have been so much um, more empowering to have. And I had also heard, you know, I, you can kind of tell from this conversation, but I do a lot of reading. I read books, I read podcast, I read blogs. I started listening to podcasts when I was in my early professional career. Um, and I heard someone on a podcast say, there's nothing you can't do with no debt and a hundred thousand dollars. And that like blew my mind. I thought there really is nothing I can't do. If, if I want to quit my job and, and go travel for several years, I could live off of a hundred thousand dollars. If I wanted to start my own business, I could do that with a hundred thousand dollars. And so that number always stuck with me. Um, and what's interesting is as I got further into my fire pursuit, um, and I became actually less interested in that fire date because I was no longer specifically pursuing full early retirement, I stopped tracking so aggressively. I wasn't, um, I wasn't so milestone oriented. And so it actually came as a surprise in, I think it was November of 2019, when I checked my personal capital account where I, where I track my um, net worth, my assets and all that. And I looked and I said, wow, at some point I had surpassed $100,000. You know, I, I didn't realize it because I'm not someone who checks daily or even weekly or even monthly in terms of how my investments perform. Um, I do 
you know, keep pretty decent tabs on, on my expenditures and things like that, my income. But in terms of investments, since I'm in a long-term game, I, I know my own psychology and I tend to not want to be influenced by volatility in the market. I'm playing, playing for the long-term. So short-term fluctuations shouldn't mean anything to me, but that also led to it being like a big surprise when I had met my goal. Um, and that was a, right around the time where I was starting to think very seriously about starting my own business because a little bit earlier in the year, I had hit complete burnout in my corporate career. Um, I was very unhappy. I was exhausted. Um, I realized that what I was doing wasn't a good fit for my personality. And I think part of it was also the, the role that I was in wasn't, um, wasn't going in the direction that I wanted it to go. And I had always wanted to start my own business. I had always planned to start my own business. That was an inevitability. The question was timing. And so realizing that I hit my goal of the $100,000 of FU money, um, the timing of me being finally ready to leave my, my job, I had worked for the same corporation for the five years out of college because I was um, really happy with the flexibility and the benefits and things like that. Um, and so I had never really felt ready to leave because I was, I was pleased with it. Um, I was starting to get to the feeling where it was time to move on. And so the question was, do I go into another full-time job or do I take this calculated risk and leave? And psychologically, that was really difficult. I think, um, and this is probably a common theme with a lot of fire folks is, is that financial security is very important to us. <laughs> That's why we care so much about our money. Um, and when you work for yourself, you are taking on a certain level of financial insecurity in terms of variable income, in, in terms of um, market volatility, which obviously we've experienced very seriously the past couple of months, um, recording now in, in May, 2020. But I realized that the worst thing that could happen was that I would have to go back and get another job. So I was in my worst case scenario and I had to make the decision to change everything that I was doing and try to pursue that new piece of my lifestyle design vision, mm -hmm. which was entrepreneurship. Yeah. And I love that idea of having um, a number where you kind of hold yourself accountable because well, once you set up your emergency fund, build up your FU money, and you decide this is actually what I want to do, it's very hard to take that leap of faith. And like you said, you're getting a consistent paycheck, you have bills, you have family to take care of, and then you're going to just switch to self-employed, which you might feel very passionate about, but passion doesn't pay the bills at the end of the day. So that's, um, that leap of faith is very hard for people to take. But that number for you uh, just jumped out. And once you hit it, you said, I've got no more excuses. This is what I planned. This is what I set up for. Um, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it now. Exactly. And, and I think I had mentioned this a little bit before, but uh, really the biggest thing that I fear in my life, um, it used to be insecurity, right? Uh, financial insecurity, uh, you know, situations that were um, unstable and things like that. And, and now I fear regret. I don't want to move through my life um, and look back and, and say, I could have done this earlier, or I, I really kind of wasted some time where I could have been living more in alignment with my ideal life. Um, and so being guided by that principle helped push me to be able to make 
what felt like the scariest leap of faith I think I've ever made in my life. Um, but I have to say to anyone who is thinking about pursuing entrepreneurship, um, as long as you have parameters around what success looks like and what failure looks like, um, you, you can't go wrong. So if you have enough money when you start and you say, I mean, I, I looked at my finances and said, ultimately we, um, we meaning my partner and I, we reached COSFI in February of this year. I left my job in, in the end of January and about two weeks later we hit COSFI. So, um, that was, that was a big piece of the equation, um, where I didn't have to be making enough money to put money into my retirement accounts right now. That wasn't uh, a piece of the puzzle anymore. So when I'm not trying to max out my 401k and my IRA and put $25,000, $26,000 into retirement accounts, that reduces the pressure on me to make a certain amount of money. Um, I really just needed to make enough money for uh, to be able to support living expenses. And with my emergency fund, with the money that I'd saved, um, as well as if you have a partner that's um, contributing or still has full-time income, which I did, I was in a financial situation that was actually, while it felt risky, it was actually very safe. I, I calculated how long, I mean, I, I could go a significant period of time without making any money at all and uh, not be in a deteriorating financial situation. I wouldn't have to pull from my retirement accounts. Um, I could allow the money to continue to be coast fi. Um, mm -hmm. I could weather a recession, which <laughs> I am doing currently um, with the, the coronavirus and, um, and handle all of these unexpected things that are, that are coming at self-employed people right now where um, we're seeing a loss of discretionary income with people that would be our clients, right? And and having to pivot in our business models um, and having to potentially rely on some of our emergency assets to be able to bridge the gap until we see an improvement in the economic scenario that we're in. Um, but with the case of having my parameters of success and failure, I was able to go into this downturn that we're in right now and say, I haven't met my parameters for failure yet. I don't, I don't have to feel like I have to jump back into a full-time job. And, and that's what I was really afraid of. I wanted to be sure when I left my job that I wouldn't give up too soon. Um, I wouldn't be scared back into the arms of the secure paycheck. <laughs> you know exactly. what I mean? It's so alluring to have something that's very consistent and very stable. Um, but ultimately that didn't match with what I wanted my life to look like at all. Um, so I hope that answered your question, but that's how I made the leap and mm -hmm. how I decided financially if it was the right move for me. Right, right. And doing it responsibly, I think is important. So making the leap, I can sound like if I'm saying just go for it, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying do it very responsibly. You had a long runway and that gives you a lot of uh, freedom to, you know, because setting up a business is not going to, it's usually not going to thrive within the first three to six months. You're not going to say, all right, great decision. You know, three to six months later, it's usually going to take a year, two years until you really start seeing some traction. So that runway that you built for yourself actually is going to lead you to a better uh, business later on because you're giving yourself that time to let that business you know, learn from it and, and let it build that traction. So that's the way I think you should do it, honestly. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I think being being responsible in taking those calculated risks are the way to do it because ultimately you need time to be successful. You know, it's uh, this is something that's very new to me. I left my job in late January. Right now we're talking in May. So we're looking at four months or so here. Um, I have hardly broken the surface of what my business could be. Mm-hmm. And all I can give in terms of advice to people is to say, the only way you'll fail is if you quit, is if you give up. Um, you know, you have to know when enough is enough. That's that's why I've given myself like this. This is what failure looks like. Um, and I, I have that written down so that I can reference it if I ever feel like, you know what, this isn't going so great, you know, this week or maybe like, oh, last month didn't look good because that's what variable income does. Some months look good, some months don't look good, but you have to have a bigger picture and you have to give yourself time. Um, And you have to believe in yourself. And it's really helpful to have a couple of other people who believe in you too, because the vast majority of people will not understand why you want to leave a safe and comfortable job, why you'd want to do something that could be perceived as quote unquote ruining your career, right? Um, As a young professional, people in their 20s and in their 30s are moving up to the point where they're going to be making the most money that they'll ever make in their life. Um, And everyone, your parents, your boss, your colleagues will tell you, this is the worst time ever to leave because you're almost there. You're almost there. The thing that I found is that it'll feel that way for your entire life, that you're almost there, that you're almost ready, that you, you've you almost reached the pinnacle. Uh, ultimately, if that's not what you want, you know, for me, I didn't want to keep moving up the ladder. I didn't want to keep making a corporate level salary with the corporate level stress. Mm-hmm. And so I chose to say no to burnout and yes to to freedom and and to stress freedom and to entrepreneurship you know not that it's without its stresses but i think um having that belief that it would be better for me in my chosen lifestyle design was was really what helped me transition mentally right and and that was that's your approach and i love it i also want to point out that there's another way to go about it potentially for some folks which is you can start that business as a side hustle maybe when on your free time and you can kind of get it going. Um, but at the end of the day, there will be that point of, you know, when do you kind of flip it to make that your main source of income? So there's always going to be that transition point still, which you might struggle. Um, so having that in mind of, of setting these goals and going for it once you hit those goals should help as well. But that's what I'm doing. For example, I'm not leaving um, because I am on, you know, I am a definitely, I feel comfort in that secure paycheck, but I know that I do want to start my own business and um, pursue my passion. So I'm also working on it. I hope that one day I can transition fully and um, have more of a, a transition, I guess. But, um, and, and going from that to, so you set up your business you're doing, you know, your best at it for three to four months, the pandemic unfortunately hits. Uh, What advice would you give to someone uh, who wants to start their own business, um, but feels like they can't do it by themselves? I think you have virtual assistants helping you out as well. Can you speak about how that's helped you? Yeah, definitely. So one of the things that I learned from, this is from the four hour work week, um, but I've also learned from being in managerial roles in my corporate career was that 
there are many things that you have to do, um, whether it's in your job or in your business, that are either things that are essentially below your pay grade. Your time could be better used on something that's more either revenue producing or, or moves the needle forward in whatever metrics you're pursuing. Um, or it's something that you're not good at and it would take you too long to do it well. So I know that there's things that I'm not good at. Um, you mentioned building your business on the side before you start full time. And that's actually, I started my blog in 2016. So I've been blogging for four years um, at 20 free. And I was trying to build a business on the side with the demands of my job. I was, I was unable to monetize because I didn't have the time to put into it. So I actually decided when I was working on my business part-time and on my, um, in my career full-time that I would hire a VA to help me with things um, that were either too time consuming or um, things that I really didn't enjoy doing. Um, and I realized how powerful that was because it's similar to how we leverage our money by investing, right? We, we put a couple of dollars forward and they multiply. Well, if you, you're leveraging your money in that way, if you leverage your time by training someone else to do something, you are duplicating yourself. You're essentially giving yourself more than 24 hours in a day. So I can work eight hours during the day and then I have a virtual assistant and she works in the Philippines and she works eight hours during the night while I'm sleeping. So they're, are so many more man hours going into this business, but she also does things like graphics. I'm, I'm not very good at graphics. <laughs> they take me forever. I'm not very good at things like Pinterest. Um, it's a very time consuming activity. Uh, and it takes a lot of, uh, knowing what works and what doesn't work. So there were particular activities that were not the best use of my time and that I wasn't effectively doing in my business. I was probably hurting my business by trying to do those things. Um, that, I was able to outsource and that made me a much more efficient business owner. Um, I can focus on things like strategy instead of implementation. And I think that's really huge if you're looking to free up your time to be able to think about really the 80, 20, um, the Pareto principle of what, you know, 20% of activities are bringing in 80% of either your profit or your results. However, you're measuring that. Um, it's very difficult to do an 80-20 analysis or to take action on that and really reel back those 80% activities that are time wasters if you are spending 100% of your time implementing, if you're inside your business and you're working in it instead of working on it. For sure. And, and that's something I struggle with as well. It's just uh, what do you work on and how do you dedicate or use your time wisely? Um, because, you know, after eight hours or 10 hours of a, a work day, you really don't have the energy or the time. And, and you still have to balance that with life's um, errands and, and um, you know, doing things that you enjoy. So uh, which building a business is something that I've enjoyed. So having a virtual assistant help you out is, is very powerful. Like you said, it gives you more man hours, more time in the day. And you could wake up to work being done because they're working on it on the other side of the world, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. um, how did you find these virtual assistants and how did you go about making sure that they're the right fit? Um, is there anything like a screening process that you go through? Yeah, so um, I've essentially developed an entire methodology of, of how I hire, because I've, I've um, hired and worked with three different virtual assistants at this point. Um, and so some, some I hire full-time, um, some would be on a project basis, 
you know, if I need ads run for something, I'm not an ads person, um, but I don't necessarily need someone to be working 40 hours a week all year round to run ads. I need an ad campaign developed and, and then um, I can implement it. Uh, and then the other would be someone who is specialized, um, for example, in particular, um, an audio video editor. As someone who has podcasts, I have a YouTube channel. Um, I was creating all of this um, new work for myself in a skill set that I hadn't developed very well yet. And I was spending a lot of time doing audio editing, um, which you, you know you might know as a podcaster is very time consuming. It's hard yes. to do well if you're not familiar with it, if you're new to it. Um, and was something that was a very highly leveraged task to outsource. And so one of the things that I always recommend if you're looking to hire a virtual assistant or a VA is to know what tasks you're going to be asking them to do. So that's doing that 80-20 analysis. That's figuring out what you don't like and what you're not good at. Um, and then writing a job description based on, you're not going to give them a list of tasks. You're not going to say, you're going to do this, this, and this, and this. You're going to ba base it on the skills that someone would need to be able to effectively either do those tasks or figure out how to do those tasks. Um, for me, communication is probably the most important thing. I think, uh, you know, if you've ever hired, I, I hired people in, in corporate as well. If someone is great technically and they're bad at communication, um, if, if they have those hard skills, but they don't have the soft skills, the result is not going to be good. So I would rather take someone who has really great communication skills and teach them everything they need to know um, rather than the, the expert who's unable to communicate. That's particularly important with people who don't live in your city, in your country, or in your time zone, you know, in your hemisphere. Um, so for me, English speaking ability was, was really important uh, as well as timeliness. Those, those two things, um, working with Filipino VAs, um, are, are two things that have made a big difference, um, making sure that it's a good fit. And um, I, I uh, want to present to the audience, and, and part of the show is to make things actionable. So where I want to kind of ask, where would you find these virtual assistants? Would you just Google virtual assistants uh, for hire, or would you, uh, do you have any recommended resources where you found that uh, you can hire the best, for example? Yeah, definitely. So I have a preferred site. It's called onlinejobs.ph. Um, that's a kind of Philippine ending like .com or .us or whatever. Uh, that is where you can find really high quality Filipino virtual assistants. I kind of have this whole background to why I decided on Filipino virtual assistants over um, virtual assistants from either the U.S. or uh, some other country like Canada or Australia. They're very expensive. That it was out of my price range. Um, assistance from places like India or maybe like Western or Eastern Europe. Um, they can still be a little bit more expensive. Sometimes, depending on where, the English speaking ability is not where you need it to be. Um, so for a variety of reasons, and that's not all of them, I decided um, the Philippines was the place to hire. I found this website. Um, it, it has a really great pool of candidates. Uh, I like their kind of their layout. It, it makes it really easy for the person who's trying to hire. Um, and then I developed a hiring system. So this is actually something that I teach if anyone is really, really interested and feels like they need a VA. Um, you know, I would be happy to work with you on that because doing, doing job interviews um, and screening candidates, uh, every job posting I've ever put up has gotten more than 100 
responses <laughs> in, in the period of about four or five days. I'm not even talking like these are up for a long period of time. Um, so <laughs> you can spend a lot of time if you don't screen candidates properly um, and, and if you don't write a good job description. Um, and it's very costly to hire the wrong person, um, which is something that luckily I, I've almost hired the wrong person, I, um, but I have not hired anyone for a full-time position who was the wrong person. If I've been between two candidates, um, you know, I've, I've figured out ways to figure out who the best fit would actually be. And so I've, I've been very fortunate to work with the extremely capable people. Um, and developing that methodology has really helped me because as your business grows, you're going to need to hire more people and you're going to need people with different skill sets. Um, first, you'll start with an assistant who does the really basic tasks that are too time consuming for you, but you'll move up to specialized people. Um, you'll move up to project managers who are doing more of the management work that you're doing um, in your business so that you can step more out of the, the COO role, which is the operations role, into the CEO role, um, which is the strategic role, the, the big picture, the 50,000 foot view. Mm -hmm. um, and so, did that answer your question? I'm rambling just a little bit. No, here. no, that was perfect. So that's exactly uh, what I was looking for. And I want to also say to the audience that I highly recommend uh, your, you know, your one-on-one -on -one coachings. I think that that would be a great one-on-one uh, -on -one time for them to pick your brain and for you to help them out as well, because every situation is unique and everybody has a different business or circumstance that they're working with. So. Um, Highly recommend everybody check check you out. Where can they find you at just20free.co, correct? And then there's some business uh, consulting or coaching. Exactly. Yeah. So I have my, my money coaching page up right now. You can contact me through the form uh, on there. And if you're looking specifically for VA work, um, I have group coaching for that. I, I don't have open slots right now um, for the group, but I would be happy to do individual coaching on that topic. Um, it's the word 20 spelled out, F-R-E-E dot co. I know sometimes over audio, it doesn't come over great. <laughs> perfect, perfect. And then a couple last things that I just wanted to touch on because you mentioned you love travel. So I like to kind of incorporate some of your personality and, and the guests' unique uh, situations into the show. So how has this been the pandemic? How has that been affecting your travel or lack thereof? But then also with your future plans on travel, is there anything that you're, you're thinking about there? Yeah. So it, the pandemic was, was a very interesting timing um, for me, especially because my, my vision going into my entrepreneurship journey was um, locking in that piece of location independence. Um, being able to run a business online frees you up to work wherever you want. As long as you have the internet, you can work anywhere. And so um, my partner is a pilot and the plan was that we were going to um, work from wherever he was station wherever he was being fly flown to um i would hop on a flight and join him there and um work from the plane and, and work from the hotel and, and work from wherever we were now very shortly thereafter all flights were basically canceled um you know i don't feel safe flying on commercial aircraft right now um and we're essentially 
first we were limited just to like our inside our home. And now I feel like the world is opening up a little bit more to where we can see on the horizon, not right at this moment, but on the horizon, we could see um, domestic travel become a possibility again. And of course we had all these, these plans. Um, we had several trips planned. Um, we managed to squeak in a trip to Costa Rica right at the very end of February. Oh, nice. <laughs> it was kind of the cel celebratory, you know, I, you know, left my job and all of that. Um, and we came back on March 1st. <laughs> and that was uh, in in my area um, was about a week before we started hearing about the coronavirus coming to the United States and about two weeks before we were in full lockdown. Um, so we were very fortunate to get that, but I, I'm, we, we have a lot of trips that we won't be able to make out of the country. We don't anticipate to be able to make those at any time in 2020, um, and we're not sure how far out in the future. And, and with that uncertainty, but still valuing travel and valuing our our freedom and and being able to be mobile and move around. Um, we are actually looking at um, considering domestic travel through van life. If you've heard of that, um, people build campers inside of sprinter vans or what you think of as like a typical work truck um, and using that to kind of shift our goals. We were looking at international travel really heavily for this period of our lives and with the way the world has changed we're actually now taking something that was supposed to be about four or five years out in the future which was this uh, traveling full-time domestically in a vehicle which would be like an rv or a van um and doing that now so not not right now let me be clear we're, we're still <laughs> staying home but once um it becomes safe uh, to domestically travel once our national parks are open um once there is an ability for us to maintain travel while social distancing, if that's necessary, then we would like to um, to move forward with that. So we're looking at 2021 for that. That sounds really cool. And uh, yeah, see the whole United States, right? And just yeah, every uh, state, all 50. <laughs> there's a big community behind that. Is it similar to RV life? Is that kind of what that's like? Yeah, yeah, it's actually really similar. I think the thing that appeals to people about vans over RVs, just really quickly to get into it, is that they're they're much smaller and much more discreet. So you can't park an RV everywhere. And if you park an RV somewhere, people know that you're living in it, that you're sleeping in it. And so it makes it harder to visit things like cities. It makes it more expensive because you're in a larger, um, more, less, rather less fuel efficient rig. Um, and so we really like being nimble. We like being mobile and flexible. Um, and so the van really fit our needs well. And in the meantime, we'll be camping. We'll be doing some um, maybe tri-state area travel, not not going anywhere um, too far, you know, and, and still waiting, of course, until that's safe to do. But mm -hmm. um, spending time in the outdoors uh, as much as we can and and being able to to see different places that we haven't been to that are in our own backyard that we may have overlooked because we were so focused on getting out of the country. Exactly, exactly. That's so cool. So, and just a couple of things I, I like to end the question, uh, the show on a couple questions here. Um, you started reading personal finance at such a young age. Um, besides the four hour work week, which I know probably is one of your favorite <laughs> books, um, what other books do you recommend uh, or, or resources, blogs, podcasts, anything that you think, you know, is like something really cool or interesting? I would say the most important personal finance book for me was Your Money or Your Life. Um, and similar to that shift that I talked about earlier, where I realized that money was power, um, Your Money or Your Life makes an equate like they they have an equation where you 
calculate how much money is equivalent to life energy. Um, is That's what the authors call it. And so it made that connection in my brain that I was spending time, I was spending energy, I was spending focus to get money and then to buy these other things. So it's, well, how much does this shirt cost in life energy is a really different question to ask yourself than how much does this shirt cost in dollars. Um, so I would recommend that book to everyone because I think shifting your perspective from money as a currency to money as life energy was, was completely life-changing for me. Yeah, that's a great book. Um, and it's been around for a while, so... It's impressive. It's it's uh, withstood the test of time. Definitely. Um, And then, do you have anything uh, exciting coming up, or is there anything anywhere you want people to find you? Is it preferred that they get to your blog, or is uh, find your Freedom Podcast? um, You know where you want them to find you. Yeah. So I would say if you're interested um, in money coaching, if you are still working on paying off debt saving money or starting to invest, um, that's something that I can help people with uh, as a money coach. So please reach out to me, 20free.co slash money coaching. You can also find me on social media if you're just looking for some some kind of like free and fun info about um, enjoying your life in your 20s while also being financially responsible and preparing for your financial future. Um, That's what I talk about a lot. And uh, the Find Your Freedom podcast is a really great place if you're interested in hearing how other people pursue financial independence and lifestyle freedom um, outside of the norm. So people who are experimenting with semi-retirement, mini-retirement, um, uh, working part-time barista fire, coast fire, things like that um, are, are topics that we talk about on the podcast. So I would invite you to join me there, Find Your Freedom podcast. You can also find a link to that on my website at 20free.co. Awesome. Awesome, Becky. Uh, Well, thank you so much for joining the show again. Thank you for uh, having me. And good luck with with your life design and your business. Thank you so much. All right. What a great episode. Now it is time to announce a winner for the book, The Power of Habit. And today's winner is Erin Bobarone. She writes on the review here for Apple Podcasts. She writes, great podcast for money. This podcast is very motivating when plowing towards debt and making goals towards financial independence. Very relatable and humbling, especially since I work in in healthcare as well. Definitely recommend. So thank you, Aaron Boberone. You are the winner of the book, The Power of Habit, and I'll be sending that out to you shortly. I hope you get a lot of value from this book. It comes highly recommended from Save My Sense, uh, Shung, who we interviewed last Uh, episode. Uh, Fantastic book. And that's on my reading list as well. So I hope you enjoy. So I hope this episode was as useful to you as it was for me. If you would like to help the show, here's how you can do it. First, subscribe and leave a review on any platform where you listen to the show. This will also enter you into our giveaway where I announce a winner each episode. Second, share this podcast with a friend. Lastly, you can help me continue to bring you amazing content by becoming a supporter of the show. There'll be a link in the show notes below. That link takes you to anchor.fm forward slash inspire to fire forward slash support. And even a small contribution helps. As a thank you, I'll send you all my fire resources and give you a shout out on the next episode. Until next time, thank you for listening and have a great day.